It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we are back. 2024. Happy New Year to our listeners and, and Kartik. Happy New Year to you too. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thank you, Chris. Uh, same to you and same to all the listeners. Yep, so that's uh, Kartik Krishnaya, uh, co-host of myself, Christopher Harris. Let's dive right in, Kartik. It's been, it's been a few weeks. We, we took a break for the holidays. Um, it's been a little bit quieter in the world of soccer, especially after our last episode, which is the... Uh, explosion about uh, US Open Cup. A lot has changed since then. Um, and we'll dive into a lot of the US Open Cup discussion in the uh, listener mailbag. But uh, I just got off a, uh, a conference call, well, basically a kind of a, uh, a media briefing uh, with Apple and Major League Soccer uh, to talk about uh, MLS season pass. And I mean, not much news at all to report, really. So that the, the big news is is that um, which we already knew listeners to this this podcast uh, would have known is that uh, about a year ago Major League Soccer teamed up with the production house that does the successful Netflix series which is about Formula One which really put F1 on the map in the United States big time in the mainstream anyway so Major League Soccer in this uh, media briefing today talked about that is talking about the deal was signed last year, which we, we know about. We talked about it. And then this year, uh, the production people will be you know, looking for those stories and putting together a series that will come out this year. It'll be available, as far as we can tell, only on Apple TV+. Plus. So if, if you're an MLS Season Pass subscriber, you're going to have to pay more uh, to get Apple TV+, Plus in order to, to see that. And that's something which is interesting, I, I think, is that the trends that they're on Messi Meets America that came out last summer, only available on Apple, Apple TV+. Plus. Then we have uh, next month's documentary that's coming out uh, right at the start of the MLS season. And that one is uh, Messi's World Cup, The Rise of a Legend. And that series is only, only available on Apple TV+. Plus. And then this Netflix-like, uh, Formula One-like series is going to come out this year only on Apple TV+. Plus. So, so to me, <laughs> even as an MLS season pass subscriber, now I'm going to have to pay more to see these. But really what they're trying to do is appeal to the, the mass public, the mainstream, who already subscribe to Apple TV+, and then hope that they get hooked on or intrigued enough about Messi, about Major League Soccer, etc., that they'll sign up for um, MLS season pass. 
other than that, Kartik, no news. So no mention about any uh, viewing numbers, no m- mention about uh, any metrics, how, how well it's going, no mention about plans for 2024 as far as you mean pricing or uh, production or new shows or any, anything like that. Um, having said all of that, what's your take on, on what, what I just uh, shared with you? I, I think um, that's great, but hopefully you, you get the compelling storylines that um, hook people. Uh, and, and again, you're probably targeting people who have some enthusiasm about sport, right? Whether it's um, whether it's uh, uh, um, American professional sports, American college sports, or world football into believing it, there is some relevance and some um, importance in watching Major League Soccer, which then binds them to the product. That's what uh, Drive to Survive did, which was on Netflix, which is more accessible than Apple TV Plus, by the way. Um, just so so we get the kind of the potential metrics of, of viewership right from the get-go. Um, I, I, I think they have tried this before with the LAFC docuseries and uh, on ESPN Plus, that was not successful. So hopefully they find some more compelling storylines. Now, given MLS's reluctance to embrace controversy, the things that would be the most compelling, the single most compelling storyline in MLS would be how supporters of the Columbus crew banded together to stop the club from relocating. That would be the single best thing to do a documentary about in terms of Major League Soccer. We know something that's officially sanctioned with MLS's involvement is never going to touch that subject. So I wonder what the subject material will be, because I think the crew thing would be a winner, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And I think that might drive more interest in Major League Soccer, and particularly in that club. But yeah. you're never going to touch that. Yeah. And personally, from my point of view, I'd like to find out what happened to Bruce Arena. What was the reason that he was suspended and, and go through all that story there? That to, that, to me, would be interesting to see in terms of how it was handled, uh, the pressure within within the New England Revolution and what was happening behind the scenes, those types of stories. So, you know what I mean? It's, it, that, I mean, the, the key words from Major League Soccer and, and Apple were that they're, for 2024 is that they're going to lean into storytelling. They're focusing on the characters. And you're right, Kartik, as far as a story like Columbus Crew and what happens to save that club and keep keep them in uh, Ohio, why they didn't, you mean, uh, basically go out of business or, or get moved uh, would be uh, enthralling, but they're never going to tell that story. So they will have the access this year to the teams, the players, you mean, the coaches, the executives, whether or not they'll be able to craft something together that's going to really be compelling, that's going to show us something that we're not seeing yet. We'll have to wait and see. But to me, MLS, it seems, it, it feels that the, the way that MLS is thinking about this is that the way to success is by telling the stories of the players, the team, and the manager in combination with Apple's uh, supposedly storytelling abilities in attracting a new audience. And I think Major League Soccer feels that that's the, the missing part. That's that's why they're not the, the most successful league in the United States. That's why they're not as successful around the world is because it's the storytelling that's missing. However, I would say, Kartik, that the Premier League, to me, has built its storytelling on the pitch. There's no you mean, Premier League uh, series. 
I mean, and again, too, I guess the, the, the different part of this, too, is that, I mean, it would be if it's looking at England, it's the clubs. It's not it's not the league that's so in control. Right. It's the clubs that really have the power. So so to me, it'll be interesting to see in 2024 if this model of success that they're looking at is saying, hey, the reason that MLS is not as popular is because of the storytelling. Let's lean into that. Let's make that better. Let's attract people that way. Can it work? Yes, in theory, you could. Uh, no, no, nothing is nothing is permanent. Nothing, uh, we've we've seen uh, sports uh, become more popular in this country and then fade. NASCAR, for instance. I mean, I've seen at times the NHL spike and then interest kind of recede. We're seeing it with Major League Baseball currently. So nothing is permanent um, in terms of interest. But Major League Soccer has to do something not being on a mainstream platform. Okay, so the other thing about Drive to Survive in terms of the U.S. market is it coincided with Formula One moving from NBC to ESPN and getting the bump that uh, ESPN can provide you. And look, I've just come back from uh, – um, I was at, at, at a college basketball game yesterday at UCF in Kansas in Orlando, and that reminded me – that 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 game and uh, the pregame and postgame reminded me of the power of um, of ESPN, right? I mean, and 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 um, how powerful ESPN is in connecting with just general uh, average people who uh, were texting me after, "Hey, you were at that game. I saw the court storming. Oh my God!" Blah blah blah. Um, and um, even the the the, the kind of news uh newsy side of uh sports that casual people talk to me about whether it's about college basketball whether it's about soccer whether it's about some other off the field thing it's almost entirely and maybe it's a generational thing chris maybe maybe younger people are different but in my generation which is your generation as well it's almost entirely driven by watching espn and watching the ticker on the bottom line or watching sports center so um I think Formula One's timing was perfect because they were moving to ESPN. MLS's timing is they've moved away from ESPN after 27 years of partnership. So maybe their model is right for uh, Gen Z and for the millennials. I, I, I think that remains to be seen if it is, but I do have my doubts. Yeah, that's a good point, Kartik. Uh The timing of this is all off, right? I mean, if, if they had done this before F1, before the uh, that, that uh, F1 series on Netflix, and had done something similar on a Netflix that was really captivating, I mean, really compelling uh, to watch and really opened people's eyes and thought like, hey, you know what? This Major League Soccer team or league is, is, is really, really worth watching. Uh, it's really fascinating in these different areas that they could have then gone ahead and watched games on ESPN, Fox, and Univision. The obstacle that they have to climb, uh, uh, climb over this one is pretty hard, right? You have to be an Apple TV Plus subscriber, which in, in the top 10 of uh, streaming services, it's lower down in the ranks. It's nowhere near a, a Netflix or a, you mean kind of a, a Paramount Plus or, or an HBO Max. So it's lower down in the rankings. So you have to subscribe to the service, which is like, what, about 10 bucks a month, I think it is. Um, and then if you watch some of these shows or watch the series and, and the, you're hooked, then 
you have to pay $99 a year to go ahead and subscribe to get the, the full season. Um, those are some big obstacles to, to, to jump over. And so may, maybe that's what Major League Soccer is looking at this, Kartik. To, to, to me, like, I, the reason that, the, that, that many of the leagues around the world are more popular than others, a lot of it comes down to the best of the best. You, you always want to see the best of the best, whether it's movies or concerts or whatever. So you gravitate to the, to the best. You want to see the best. But the other part of it, which you were alluding to, is you also want to make sure it's accessible, right? You want to make sure that those concerts are coming to your town, that those those teams or, or those players, you can watch it pretty easily through ESPN or whatever. With streaming, you mean with MLS Season Pass, that's probably, you I mean, it, that's a niche of a niche, right? You've got Apple TV Plus, which is a niche, or Apple TV Plus. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely a niche. And then within that ecosystem, within the, within the Apple TV ecosystem, then you have MLS Season Pass. So I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to achieve the success that they're looking for. And even if the series is great, right? The series that done by these guys that did the Netflix uh, series, even if, if it's wonderful, how many people are actually going to watch it? <laughs> it this is yeah, tough. And, and again, and again the, 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 I think the big point, people think, uh, and I hesitate to say this because we get so much in the mailbag about ESPN, but there is... Like I said a minute ago, at least with my generation, a value to ESPN that can't be quantified. That doesn't really show up in metrics. Even uh, uh, most of my friends uh, have no interest in college basketball, okay? Uh, and they think it's uh, whatever. It's, it's just like this kind of second-tier sport. But still, the fact that ESPN made a big deal out of that game last night and I was there, uh, coupled with me getting all sorts of text messages and and. and and, and, and uh, uh, comments about it. There is a power that ESPN has that MLS has lost. And that Formula One gained at the very same time as they were uh, putting this documentary series on a more accessible platform than Apple TV+, Plus, which is Netflix. Um, I, I think that MLS and Apple, in order to protect both their investments, do have to consider some sort of greater carve-out or sub-license agreement beyond Fox going forward. I, I don't think they're going to solve this problem without doing that. Um, or, or you stick with Fox, but you give Fox more than you're giving them now. And give them more incentive to promote it than you are now. Um, but Fox doesn't have the incentive to, to give MLS the level of promotion or production value that he did in the past because they don't own the property and they can't, they don't even have the streaming rights for any of the things they're showing on linear television. So um, I think without those incentives, this thing is probably, uh, it, it's an uphill fight. And and that's the thing though too, too, Kartik, is that uh, as long as Apple puts on a good show in terms of the production, how, how good the production looks, and as long as these guys that did the Netflix F1 series puts on, puts out a good, uh, good-looking production, looks really good, and as long as Major League Soccer doesn't release any of their viewing numbers, they can kind of hide behind that a little bit too, and go like, "Yep, yeah, everything's great. Uh, I mean, isn't this wonderful? We're available worldwide, no blackouts." But without actually them releasing any numbers. They can hide behind that. It's all smoke and mirrors. So 
you mean it, it's a very protective shield that's around them. Uh, ultimately, you mean behind the scenes, I'm sure that they're freaking out, trying to make sure that they they drive those subscriptions, that they're looking at those numbers daily, trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to get more people subscribed to MLS Season Pass? But that's an internal conflict that they have that they have to try and figure out how, how to succeed and 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 get past. Uh, on the outwards perspective, though, too, is that it's a good story to tell without any numbers being shared. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And then maybe people think that Major League Soccer and MLS Season Pass is doing better than it actually is. Because without releasing those numbers, nobody knows. You may, maybe the numbers are great. Maybe the numbers are bad. But if, if those numbers aren't being shared, you mean, keep on doing what you're doing. This all kind of wraps up to Kartik because, I mean, the timing of this in terms of this past year, 2023, the first year of uh, MLS season pass, you talked about Fox. Fox has a deal for four years. So 23 is in the bag and they got uh, 24, 25, 26 under that TV deal that they have with uh, Major League Soccer. So I'm sure that they're hoping after the World Cup in 2026, you mean, things will go you mean, through the roof in terms of... Uh, interest in soccer and that will gravitate into at that point a new tv deal um between now and then for mls it's going to be some rough years i think in terms of yes they have messi yes they have suarez yes they have all the all these things but in terms of increasing the number of subscriptions that they need to increase them to it's going to be challenging at the same time kartik we look at some of the the numbers that have come out from um this past year, 2023, in terms of the, the viewership, and for the first time ever, Liga, Liga MX, uh, the Mexican League, is no longer the most watched or most popular soccer league in the United States. It is now the Premier League, and by quite a margin. Even. So for 2023, uh, viewership um, for the Premier League is it represents 30% of the total view- soccer viewership in the US in 2023. And then 23% of that is Liga MX. So that's what, 53%. Um, the Women's World Cup was about 9%. And then pretty much all the other leagues and competitions are in the single digits, including Major League Soccer in the single digits. So some of the other numbers to throw out there too, is that the Premier League on NBC over the air network, the, the, the actual network, has finished the first half of uh, the 2023-24 season. Uh, their viewership is up 7% compared to last year, and it's up 13% compared to 2021. And then the Premier League on USA, the cable network, uh, it, it was up 2% over last year, and then 20% over 2021. To me, Kartik, I think in a way in a big way, is that the Premier League is actually taking advantage of MLS not being on television and gobbled up a lot of that audience. What do you think? I, I suppose so. I mean, I also suppose maybe their marketing is a little better uh, or, or or it's just the media penetration of the league. Uh, I, I think also having a partner like NBC who just re- re-upped, right? And with your, with ext- an extended contract that they re-upped with, they then began to make changes in terms of, of promotion, being more aggressive in their promotion, uh, and um, I- improving 
some of their production and studio programs, although I don't know if that tangibly uh, can explain those, those numbers moving. I think in terms of Liga Mekki struggles, you've got um, more cord cutters um, among millennial and uh, Gen Z Hispanics. You've got less Spanish language um, uh, efficacy, if you want to call it that, in terms of their, their viewing preferences. They, they tend to view uh, want their viewing preferences tend to skew towards more English language channels. And uh, I think there is now kind of a generational drop off. Um, which I think is very unfortunate for the sport of this country. And it's a, uh, it's a situation, you know, we like to say soccer is always growing, growing, growing. Uh, and you, know, you and I kind of poked holes in that a couple of weeks ago in a podcast we did. I think this is a, a clear piece of evidence that it's not. Because if you have a generational drop-off among uh, Mexican-Americans, which is one of the largest ethnic groups and probably the largest ethnic group of first-generation or second-generation Americans in large percentages of this country, you have a drop-off in their interest uh, to the sport that their parents loved, um, and they're shifting towards American football or some other Americanized activity, or they're quitting sports altogether. That long-term is not positive for soccer. It's not a good development. I'm not by any means saying that that's my conclusion, that that's happening. But that's a theory of mine, and we'll see over the next few years if that continues to happen. If Liga Mekki's numbers continue to go down, yes, people who are uh, Premier League evangelicals who, who love the Premier League and think all other soccer is inferior and everything should be English, then yeah, they can cheer, they can, they can, they can celebrate. But for I think the rest of us, it's not a positive development at all because it's uh, it's a positive development. The Premier League's growing its footprint. It's not a positive de- development that Liga Mekki's is dropping because I do think it might be a generational thing, which affects the sport as a whole in this country in, in a negative way. Yeah, it could be that. I mean, so when I mentioned before too about, I mean, in terms of MLS not being on television, except for I mean, a select number of games on Fox, and even those games are on streaming. Um, and I asked, you know, is is the Premier League gobbling up that, that TV audience that used to watch MLS games and now is uh, watching Premier League games? It could be the other way around. It could be that uh, actually the Premier League is gobbling up the Liga Mackey's uh, audience of, you mean, Maybe. whether yeah. second generation or third generation Mexican-Americans that are, you mean, bilingual, that are looking to watch games and, and they're supporting, I don't know, Manchester City instead of, uh, you know, I mean, Tigres or something like that. Because if you look at the numbers, I think for 2023, the numbers for Liga Mackey's uh, across Univision was, were down about 12%. Now, on NBC, like I mentioned, it was up 7%. And then on uh, USA Network, it was up uh, 2% for, for those Premier League matches. So it could be, could be that, too. Is It could be that the audience is not necessarily uh, declining or moving on to other places, but they're actually making changes in terms of their viewing preferences. Yeah, the, the Univision thing and Liga Mackey's thing in terms of the drop there, I think part of it might be VIX, uh, the streaming service. Uh, it's a paid streaming service. So, uh, I mean, many of those games are on there. Um, but also, I think in terms of just the strategy that Televisa Univision's had, where they've laid off or fired a lot of their kind of uh, US-based uh, commentators and presenters and have been putting in more of the Mexican um, from from Mexico using that talent, so that might be, might be part of it. But uh, but also it could be just changing habits in terms of just kids or, or teens or young adults or older or adults watching more English soccer. But because that that's the that's the one that uh, it seems to be that everyone everyone's watching. 
And it's it's uh, interesting too, Kartik, because for the top five most watched Premier League matches in US, US television history, all five of those happened in 2023. So what can what can Liga Mackies and and Major League Soccer do to to change? I mean, to really kind of fight back against the Premier League, in your opinion? I mean, I think for Liga Mackies, it might be having to uh, uh, take some of those games off of the VIX paywall, get more games um, on some sort of English language platform. Uh, we saw Chivas do that fairly successfully at times with uh, with NBC, right? Uh, when NBCSN was still operating. Uh, but do something to understand that, um, and, and this is not necessarily in the interest of Televisa. So a uh, thing to understand about Liga Mekis, and the Premier League used to be this way. In fact, at one time, B-Sky B had invested, I think, had shares in the majority of Premier League clubs. They don't anymore. Uh, this is one good thing about all the foreign owners coming to the Premier League. As they come into the Premier League, they have to, they bought Sky's shares out of various clubs. Um, in the case of Manchester City, the club I support was when Tashkin Shinawatra brought uh, Manchester City in 2007. Um, uh, sad to talk about this today because the manager he appointed Sven Joran Eriksson has been um, diagnosed with terminal cancer as of today, which is very, very sad news. But um, they, he had to buy out these guys, these shares. Liga Emekis is effectively a league run by television companies in Mexico, by Azteca and Televisa. Televisa, you mentioned VIX, you mentioned 2DNA and the changes and the, and the cutbacks. That's all Televisa, right? And it's all in their kind of economic bottom line. So it's not in their economic bottom line of Televisa as a larger media company to, to farm out rights to uh, English language, some English language broadcaster in the United States for a lot of these Liga Mekis clubs they're involved with. It is not in their interest to put... Uh, um, I mean, they tried with 2DNA, right, to have the English language uh, yep, option, yep. but it, it wasn't a recognized English language broadcaster. So I, I, I think that's the solution, and my sense is they won't take it. Uh, in terms of MLS, we talked about it over and over again. Uh, I think uh, if you make uh, the sport more authentic, more locally meaningful, more community-oriented, um, it'll surge past the Premier League in this country. Uh, MLS has the uh, ability to do that with the existing soccer, uh, existing and growing soccer infrastructure on a local level in uh, this country, in the other divisions and other uh, soccer entities. But they seem more determined to want to try and uh, competitively eliminate those entities rather than to work with them. So I, I think the solution would actually be kind of simple, but it would involve um, making sacrifices for the greater good rather than the way they operate. So now, based on the new viewing figures for 2023, as far as what people are watching when it comes to soccer, I mean, the new rankings of the most popular soccer leagues in the US, it's number one, Premier League, number two, Liga Max, uh, number three, Major League Soccer, number four, La Liga, number five, NWSL, number six, Bundesliga, number seven, Serie A, and then number eight, Ligue 1. Now, if listeners and myself are you know, fans of watching Premier League soccer, or fans of clubs that play in the Premier League, this is good news. It's it's you mean in terms of you mean growing that audience, that numbers you mean really ballooning. Um, what we thought a year ago the Premier League was plateauing, now it's it's rising up. Uh, it is certainly growing. However, you look at some of these other leagues, and you've got Ligue 1, who is currently looking for a broadcaster. Um, their current contract with BN Sports ends at the end of the season. 
they're desperately looking for someone to go ahead and, and uh, to go to. Uh, Serie A is in the same situation. Serie A, it looks likely that CBS Sports will not renew its deal, uh, as we've reported at worldsoccertalk.com. So where does Serie A go? Where does Liga go? The Bundesliga, their contract up, is up in the next, what, a year or two years, I think it is? Um, two years, other, yes. Yeah, so other than ESPN Plus, who are interested in, in renewing that deal, are there any other major options available to them? So you look at those leagues. I think those leagues are leagues that are going to get are going to suffer, right? From the Premier League being so prevalent across the United States, that TV deal will probably increase even on the next one. Those those other leagues are going to have a tough time getting the same amount of money uh, or close to it for the for its next deal. Yeah, and I think this is all d- uh, down to people's personal preferences and their kind of cultural preferences. Because my my contention is. The Premier League has hardly, if ever, been the best league in the world. That's not my personal contention on, on based on football. And I think last season, Serie A was the best league in Europe. But what did you say? It was uh, seventh uh, in the U.S.? Yeah. Uh, being the best league in Europe would mean it was the best league in the world. Just for one year. I think this year it's dropped off a little bit again. But that seventh would mean it's seventh in uh, – yeah. So um, – Serie A has a problem with their with their uh, stadiums. They have a problem with their presentation. They have a problem in that they don't produce uh, the league doesn't produce Spanish language uh, um, broadcasts for the U.S. The league doesn't produce. You know, you, you, it's incumbent on the broadcaster to produce everything uh, for Serie A. So you have to do English language um, uh, production for, for for if you're CBS if you want a, a type production for a game you're putting on CBS Sports Network or on Golasso. Same, same thing if you want to do Spanish language, which they haven't done. Um, this is in contrast with the Premier League and even some other leagues like the Brasileiro, who produce things for local markets, for domestic mar- uh, international domestic markets um, that um, right-size and fit those markets. So if Serie A doesn't change that, I, I don't think they're going to grow at all. I think they're going to continue to fade, quite frankly, because... Liga has the potential with the Super Club and PSG and some maybe getting on a different television partner to overtake them. La Liga has the long-term deal with ESPN. Um, there needs to be some improvement there, but I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to slip behind Serie A, that's for sure. And the Bundesliga does the things I just talked about that Serie A doesn't do. So, um, you know, this is, again, a reflection that um, understand when we say the Premier League has the best ratings, we're not saying... It's universally the best league on, on, on the pitch. A lot of people misunderstand this. When I say, hey, people are watching the Premier League, the Premier League's winning this battle. Oh, you're disrespecting Serie A. People say to me, it's better, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not everything has to be English. I agree with that. And as I said, I thought last year Serie A, to me, was more compelling viewing in terms of the title race, in terms of the race for the top four, although that was affected by Juventus's points deduction. Um Milan is lucky they're in Champions League because, because or in Europe because uh, of that points deduction. But um, that um, that that doesn't translate to television viewership in the United States. This has to be understood. So uh, those leagues have to do something differently. I don't know what Serie A is going to do if they're off CBS. They're not going to. Uh, they have to start making decisions internally and produce things. But as I said uh, on a previous podcast. I have a real concern about Serie A's domestic TV deal. Now, never mind what's going on here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That they took too little money. They're not necessarily on the right broadcaster domestically, and uh, 
I think they're in trouble just in general. So I don't think this is going to change. I think the Premier League is probably going to continue to dominate. It's just a matter of whether they, we continue to see the year-over-year uh, -year growth and 20% growth in two years on USA Network, which when people are cutting their cords is really impressive for a cable channel, by the way. Yeah, one of the things I've heard quite a bit uh, these past couple of weeks from people on social media is, his Chris, hey, what's the big deal? The Premier League's always been bigger than Major League Soccer. You mean, so what's new? Well, the reality is, people forget this, but up until what, maybe like 15 years ago, Major League Soccer was much, much bigger than the Premier League in terms of TV ratings. You remember, Kartik, in terms of the MLS Cup finals that were on ESPN or ABC back in the day. Um, and I remember, too, the Premier League viewing figures for some of the matches on a Saturday morning on, on ESPN2 would be about sometimes 92,000 people would tune in to watch a match or uh, Satanta would be less than that or Fox Soccer Channel. It'd be in that ballpark kind of hoping to hit 100,000 viewers. And we've seen from just this past week, I mean, a game that's on Newcastle against Liverpool, I mean, just kind of a, a random game of, of the holiday season had almost 800,000 viewers. I mean, and the actual MLS Cup final for 2023 on Big Fox got 815,000 viewers. And of course, there was, we don't know how many, but some people actually watched that on MLS Season Pass too, probably a large number, but we don't know what the number is. So I think people need to realize that, um, I mean, this has not always been this way. It hasn't been the Premier League has always been above Major League Soccer. And, yeah, and actually, Chris, to your credit, so this goes back probably maybe some of our listeners weren't even born yet. This goes back 15 or 16 years. Uh, I think it was 2007. You and I had a back and forth uh, on this issue that played out publicly. We didn't have Twitter and all those things then. But uh, I said MLS is stronger than uh, Premier League TV audience. I don't understand why Fox Soccer Channel is obsessed with uh, promoting all these Premier League storylines and Fox football flown in and all this stuff at the time, uh, because the, Premier, the Major League Soccer clearly has better television numbers uh, in, um, in the United States, even at that time with like 12 teams in MLS or 13 teams, whatever it was, has better viewing numbers in the Premier League. There's more interest. The Premier League is kind of very niche hipster product slash uh, expat product. Well, guess what? You know, 17 years later, we talk about Garber is always talking about all this growth of MLS, all this tangible stuff we've seen. I will tell you, uh, and you you were right and I was wrong, Chris, in 2007 and 2008, you and I had this discussion publicly. I, I, can't, I guess we had it on the old EPL talk site. Uh, I was wrong. And at that time, there were more people watching Major League Soccer in this country than watching the Premier League. And if you go back to the late 90s, right after MLS launched, MLS's television numbers on ABC, um, on ESPN, were higher uh, than they were even, I think, or maybe they were kind of roughly similar to the year that they left ESPN in 2022, that would have been. So there was no actual growth. I mean, mm -hmm. it ebbed and flowed. It had gone down and it had come back up, but it was not, uh, it, there wasn't uh, a, 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 uh, a constant growth as is represented. And there were a lot more people watching it than the Premier League at one time. Yeah, that's absolutely documented and a fact. Yeah, and we look, just my last point here too, before we move on to the list of mailbag, is that we look at the next six months and we already at this point in, in January know that there's going to be a fan fest for the Premier League and NBC in Nashville in April. We know that Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United are going to be here this summer to play friendlies in the United States 
and all the information is at worldsoccertalk.com. You look at the other leagues, we have no idea what's going on, right? You mean, will there be any uh, Liga 1 teams uh, here this summer, any Serie A teams, any Bundesliga teams, uh, any La Liga teams? You mean, you mean is Major League Soccer going to do a fan festival nationwide? Or, you mean, what, what's Liga Mackey's doing? Uh, NWSL, what are they doing? I mean, so you look at the marketing, the way that the they're promoting, and a lot of this is the teams themselves. It's not so much the league itself doing the promotion. Uh, the fan fest, really, it's it's an NBC thing, and NBC deserves a lot of credit here, right, in terms of what they've done. And a lot of it is is the consistency, the consistency of the time windows. You know where which matches are going to be on on what days. Yes, you have to check sometimes if it's on Peacock or USA or NBC, but but we've been ingrained to watching, I mean, we know when the games are on, right? And the other thing about this too is that we've built up a loyalty to our teams, right? We, I, I'm a Swansea City supporter. Kartik, you are a Manchester City supporter, as well as supporting other teams, of course, and and so on and so forth Forth with our listeners in terms of you, you, you'll you have your favorite team, whatever league it is, whatever whatever country it is, even it could be an MLS team, whatever it is, uh, there's that loyalty. And, and when I went back before and asked you the question about what can Liga Mackeys do and what can Major League Soccer do to change things, to battle the Premier League, is it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, even if they do make some, some big changes, it takes a while to build loyalty for fans to be loyal to a team and, and to stick with it, right? So... Um, so in some ways, it's like Premier League should be kind of, I mean, basically uh, over the moon in terms of their growth. And then for the other leagues, they've got a lot of work to do. And I mean, it's a huge, huge challenge and it's not going to happen overnight. So it's possible that Premier League might run, run away with it. And they might be the ones from the 2026 World Cup that could benefit the most from it, not Major League Soccer. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Kartik, we've got so much feedback about the U.S. Open Cup. Um, Let's start off with Stephen's comments, and let me scroll down to that one. 
Uh, Stephen says the podcast about Major League Soccer leaving the US Open Cup was possibly the best I've heard you could do. I always appreciate your insights and passion, but this was on an another level. I'm hoping that the, the decision by USSF to not allow Major League Soccer to leave the, the US Open Cup has some teeth and it's a moot point, but I agreed with pretty much everything you said. Besides the cup sets by lower division teams and impressive runs by the strikers, Miami FC, uh, Birmingham uh, Legion and Union Omaha, among others. The Open Cup also gave us uh, stories of amateur and semi-pro teams like Chelsea, um, Christos FC and uh, La Maquina getting a chance to play MLS clubs. Even as a fan of an MLS team, watching the Fire win the 2006 US Open Cup final live is one of my greatest memories as a soccer fan. Also, is it just me or did some of the things that Don Garber and uh, Apple's executive Eddie Q said smack of the worst as aspects of American exceptionalism. Uh, their words had an air of belief that leagues and federations uh, in the rest of the world were wrong and we could do things better. That left a nasty taste in my mouth. One last thing on a totally different note, I think besides quality of play and marketing, the Premier League is also so successful because their deal with NBC found a nearly perfect balance of streaming and linear TV that other leagues have not mastered. Kartik, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, Stephen's comments there? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And the, the thing that makes the Open Cup so special are the runs of clubs like Christos FC uh, and La Baquina, as he mentioned, and, and uh, Miami United. Let me throw them in there. Uh, uh, amateur well, semi-pro team they're not really amateur uh team from south florida that uh got the host of orlando city at their ground uh in a fourth round open cup game after uh beating two professional teams in earlier rounds and they beat their fellow amateur or semi-pro team in the first round um I, and i agree on the nbc thing and this is there's a consistency so maybe this is where mls season pass has some hope there will be a consistent broadcast partner and presentation style with Apple over the course of 10 years with MLS. Now, you could argue they had that with ESPN, but um, there's always seems to be some sort of uh, uh, dissatisfaction. There was always, uh, uh, I mean, I even go back to 2010 when um, there was a Chelsea-Manchester United game. I think you remember this, Chris. That was a 7.45 a.m. kickoff time on ESPN2. It got a pretty good number for that time, like uh, uh, that time of day, 575,000 viewers or 600,000 viewers, something like that. And the complaints from MLS fans after that number was posted was, oh, well, that's because they promoted that game endlessly, even though it was at 70, remember, 4.45 a.m. Eastern time, uh, or Pacific time, effectively, because they, they promoted that game and they never promote MLS. Well, that is absolute bunk. You know, I saw so much MLS promotion on ESPN through the years. But maybe this uh, Apple deal gives them a partner, maybe not just a network that dictates to them, uh, like NBC has with the, or Premier League has with NBC in the U.S. I don't know. That that's one hope I have. Although I think if they didn't make it work on ESPN, I don't know how they make it work on another broadcaster. Dan Floyd says uh, it's possible that Major League Soccer has made a mistake. USL has been growing in in quality and quantity. Yes, there are still teams that fail, but I don't believe that MLS can expand indefinitely. The nation is about to get exposed uh, to be exposed to more and more soccer in the coming years at a time that Major League Soccer is, uh, finds itself less visible and USL is poised to be more visible. I also hope USL keeps the non-CBS games on ESPN+. 
unlike Apple, uh, ESPN Plus has a lot to offer in other sports content and other soccer content. If interest in the game grows because of the World Cup, then USL uh, could be well positioned to take advantage and Major League Soccer may have made a mistake by being behind um, a paywall. Mercator says, I don't blame Apple. They have nothing to do with this uh, US Open Cup uh, fiasco. They don't care about Messi playing in the US Open Cup. If they did, they would buy the rights like CBS did. It's on YouTube, for God's sake. This is completely about Major League Soccer making up a fake tournament they get the money from, uh, i.e. Leagues Cup, and then dumping the historic tournament that they don't make money on, which gives USL a chance to compete on and off the field. Eddie Q probably thinks the US Open Cup is a golf tournament. Uh, It's Major League Soccer that's driving this uh, entirely. Dave says, I'm surprised that uh, anyone is surprised by people like NFL billionaires seeking to grow their net worth at the expense of the public interest. I doubt NFL billionaires want to harm soccer in the US. They may harm soccer as a side effect of pursuing power and wealth, but I doubt they see soccer as a threat to core interests. And I doubt they care either way how their decisions impact soccer in the US. USSF may feel like victims, but US Soccer Federation has enabled Major League Soccer to ignore global soccer norms for decades. MLS probably looks, uh, uh, probably took that as a message that inconvenient rules and policies do not apply to them. You can be angry with Major, Major League Soccer and or Apple, but I think the blame is almost exclusively with the US Soccer Federation. Yeah, and we've seen that Kartik write for years where it seems to be that U.S. Soccer Federation has taken a back seat. It's really not kind of got themselves too involved um, unless it was during the, the, the reign of uh, Sunil Galati um, and have been concentrating more so on the uh, U.S. men's and U.S. women's uh, national teams and uh, lawsuits and all sorts of other, other things that have nothing to do with the governance of the game in, in this country. Greg asks, uh, are any U.S. soccer journalists trying to report any dissent within the MLS owners groups to the Open Cup decision? Are there any who would have preferred to keep their senior teams in the tournament? And are they? Uh, are there any who could be swayed? What do you think about this, Carter? I mean, in terms of the consensus among MLS owners, uh, many of them NFL team owners, uh, and the decision the vote that was reached uh, among the Board of Governors that led to MLS uh, deciding to go ahead and and make the announcement that they were going to quit the U.S. Open Cup. What's your consensus in terms of, you mean, was that a unanimous decision or or were there clubs that were against this? There were clubs that were against this for sure. Uh, I just don't know that um, that the group think in MLS that the way single entity works, that an owner can pick up the phone and call um, a local reporter. Okay. So here's part of the problem. I think that they're local beat writers who cover MLS tend to be local beat writers who then are off covering something else during the MLS off season, right? They're off covering whatever NFL or, 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 or local college or high school sports. Um, so, that's um, that's part of the problem. So the only people then you can call are national uh, reporters, uh, Athletic, Wire Services, uh, USA Today, uh, uh, Yahoo Sports, right? Things like that. So um, they, they don't necessarily want to uh, 
out themselves nationally uh, if you're an MLS owner. Because, again, it's a single-entity league. There's, there, there, there's group think that goes on. Uh, you're not necessarily permitted to speak out against the group. Uh, I, um, I do think there was certainly some dissent uh, in, in, in the group. I can, I can guess which clubs wanted to continue to participate in Open Cup. I mean, I, I, I would openly speculate that probably uh, um, you had uh, uh, five, six, seven clubs that wanted to continue to field their first teams. Um, and these are clubs that are serious about winning trophies. There might be other clubs that are saying, hey, we're, we're in a development model. We um, want to be able to monetize our academies. I, I think there is a realization, and this is very important, Chris, when we talk about this. So I have to stress this point. When with both USL and MLS, despite the bravado for years that were a top global league, USL said, oh, we're one of the most important leagues in the world. They still put that in their press releases. MLS, you you probably just got off a call with them about how they're going to be one of the greatest leagues in the world and, and they're going to be a top league by the end of this Apple deal. Privately, there is a a um a concession within MLS and USL ownership circles and MLS and USL management circles that they have to be selling leagues and, um, and that they have to be able to move talent on to Europe. And I think there are MLS owners who think, okay, the best way to do this is to let our reserve teams play in the Open Cup. I don't agree with that, but I do think that's a legitimate point of view that some of them held. And then there is another group of clubs, which is probably the largest group, that uh, have NFL owners or whatever, or, or owners that don't care about growing the game, or just like, ah, this is a waste of time. We don't control the revenue. Let's get out of it. So I do think there's kind of like three baskets of clubs, and we're not seeing the sort of reporting that I would like to see on which clubs fit in which basket. And I think that's, again, because of the group thinking culture of conformity within Major League Soccer. Yeah, and we've lost a lot of those local reporters throughout the U.S., um... And the different newspapers, the, the investigative reporters or the local MLS reporters. And a lot of it too is, you mean, MLSsoccer.com uh, is kind of the go-to place for Major League Soccer news. And of course, they can control that message. They can say whatever they want to say. Uh, they can also be very protective in terms of about uh, who, has, who has access uh, to different executives. So they can really, really, um, from a PR point of view, really... Um, do things now that maybe they couldn't have done maybe say 10 years ago when there were a lot of local reporters trying to get that local news and local angle and local stories. Um, good points there, Kartik. Matt says, long time, no message. I uh, hope you all had a nice holiday by the time you read this. I wanted to write in to give my two cents on how I believe Major League Soccer can change to fit how you best feel uh, in terms of keeping regular season relevant and the playoffs alive. I believe Major League Soccer should explore the Belgian model. While a, while a very controversial format in Belgium, I believe it fits perfectly for, for what uh, Major League Soccer is trying to do. For those who don't know, the Belgian Pro League just deploys a model where they have a regular season and then a playoff format. However, the big thing, the big key thing here is that at the end of the regular season, the Belgian League takes the four best teams and then has their points total uh, and then, actually, I'm sorry. So <laughs> the Belgian League takes the four best teams. They have the point totals and then have them face each other in a home and away series. Uh, whoever has the most points after the end of the championship round wins the league. The 2022-23 Belgian Pro League in particular had one of the 
one of the best, great, greatest uh, cha- uh, endings in recent memory for a final league day in the championship round. And then Kartik, he adds, uh, I would love to hear what you guys think about this for Major League Soccer. I think uh, it could work, right? I mean, yeah, any yeah. anything <laughs> anything to kind of... Uh, help well it's still it's still a lot such a long season right i mean so mls season starts in february by the time it ends is december the final in december um you mean is there enough there to keep people interested throughout the whole season i still think they need to have the split season which don garber we've been talking about this for a long long time don garber mentioned it as a possible thing in the future that they're looking at uh i think it's a good idea this could work too. I'd have to analyze it more closely, but what do you think, Kartik? Oh, absolutely. I love the Belgian Pro League's uh, format. Um, in fact, I had no interest in that league other than maybe tracking some players that were uh, being developed or loaned out from, from uh, Chelsea and Man City, whoever else, uh, into the Belgian Pro League until they went to this format. And now, I actually, toward the end of the season, I, I follow the league closely because it's much more interesting. It makes everything more meaningful. Um, and you know, breaking breaking the league up into tiers that way uh, is something that probably would work um, in terms of uh, um, the uh, uh, the relevance of, of, of general match days in, in Major League Soccer. This is the other problem, okay? So competition format. We haven't talked about it yet in this show, but I, I feel like a broken record. And you've just uh, done something at World Soccer Talk on, on the written side in the last week about it. I just do not think this calendar works for Major League Soccer. Period. Okay. End of story. And I don't believe this calendar works for soccer in this country. A professional soccer, adult amateur soccer. I don't think it works. So I, I do think part of this is MLS has one hand tied behind its back in competing with the Premier League and competing with other um, other things for viewership because of its, one, its competition format, which needs to be changed. You can't just have a classic American regular season and then uh, playoffs, right? You have to either scrap the playoff format or you have to make the regular season more meaningful to lead into a postseason cup competition or whatever, however you want to bring that. We tried that with the NASL with our split season. I, and I think you just have to go to a different calendar. I mean, the, 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 the absolute insanity of having MLS Cup go up against uh, college football championship games is, I, I just, uh, although I think this year it was against the Army-Navy game, which is probably even more insane, quite frankly. Um, I, 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 and then anytime I talk about calendar change, people are like, well, we can't go up against football. You're going up against football now. Your, your season would end when football stopped being played in May if you did this the, the, the way I'm proposing. And many of us have proposed. So I just don't understand. Like, whenever you bring up the argument, people get very myopic and defensive. Or people will freeze to death uh, uh, because you're playing through the winter. Whereas, I mean, we don't have, let's, let's pretend like we don't have dozens and dozens of postponements and delays over the summer because of the extreme heat and uh, and dangerous weather uh, in this continent. Uh, continent. I mean, this is a continent of great cl- climatic contrasts. I can see that. And Europe is not. So right. I, I, I get that. But you can work around it. So, um, yeah, the Belgian uh, league gives a, gives a model. 
Uh, the Mexican League, quite frankly, gives a model. And as much as we've talked negatively about Liga Mekis today and, and, and their downward spiral in the U.S., uh, and you have to, uh, in terms of competition, and you have to really consider changing the calendar. Um, if you keep doing the same thing and just tweaking little things, postseason format, who your broadcaster is, um, and, and you're expecting different results, it is not going to happen. All right, three more comments to go. The next one up is from uh, Anonymous from Wisconsin, and this one's a voicemail. Yeah, uh, the Gaffer, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, an American pyramid, I get a little bit uh, cringeworthy when you say it's not a true pyramid. I think you look at it from a team perspective, but from a player perspective, I would consider what they're trying to do a pyramid now. I, I do believe that eventually you're going to have minor league athletes throughout the United States at, at the MLS top division. But uh, so like the New York, he's at the 19 year old kid, you know, and like, you know, at the age of 22, he's starting for the New York Yankees. He's worked his way up to the minor league system. Wouldn't you consider that a pyramidic type of rise from a player development perspective? So what, what's your views on that? Yeah, as someone who's worked at all levels in that pyramid, with the exception of the MLS level, I've worked in D2, D3, D4, at all amateur, I've run a league. Um, I can I buy that to a certain extent, but here's why I don't necessarily uh, buy that uh, completely. Because I think what's happened... Well, okay, I buy that in the past. I, I agree with that. I think we're now moving in a different direction where MLS wants to incubate their clubs with guys who are just within their pyramid, within their league. I think to a large extent, USL at the corporate level wants to do that as well. With USL Academy, the USL Youth Initiative, which they announced earlier this week, etc. Although there are USL clubs that are still actively uh, scouting and buying guys from NISA and from NPSL. So the clubs and the league office are disconnected in USL in a way they're not in MLS. But I do think we're moving away from that to where we're going to have separate pyramids um, where if you're in one league system, you stay in that league system until as you develop, until you move uh, to Europe or you hit the top of that, that league system uh, and there's no mobility between them. That's the danger. So I do, I do agree with the comment. I think we were, we were there. I'm someone who's worked at all levels. I've seen guys go from D5 to D4, you know, adult amateur. Then those NPSL guys get signed by a, a, D, a D2 USL or NASL club, and then they end up playing in MLS. I've seen that repeatedly. I've seen guys who played for uh, um, unaffiliated, in unaffiliated adult leagues end up playing professionally. So that's all true. But I think we're moving away from that, actually, which is not – uh, something I'm in favor of. Uh, and I and by the way, I don't exclusively blame MLS for this. I think USO has some blame too. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm just beating up on MLS and USO is great. But I do think, unfortunately, we're going into these silos in terms of the different league systems, and that's not a healthy thing. All right, next up is Chris Guardino. Chris says, as someone who has supported a MLS club uh, since they were in the USL, Seattle Sounders, before they joined Major League Soccer, I am absolutely sick to my stomach about MLS clubs pulling out of the US Open Cup. Much of our, our success as a club and our history has come in that competition. MLS has lost almost all of its legitimacy 
uh, as a result of this move, and I think European leagues uh, and to a certain extent Liga Mackies are going to take full advantage of this when it comes to marketing their leagues to the American soccer audience that has become disillusioned with Major League Soccer because they can make the argument of, unlike MLS, our clubs play in cup competitions and take them seriously. This is right up there with the NASL of the 1970s and early 1980s, refusing to play by international rules by being labeled an outlaw league by FIFA in terms of stupidity, uh, which in, in the end uh, cost the league its, its, its existence. And uh, yeah, we haven't mentioned it, but, but since that last podcast, uh, MLS made a U-turn and uh, it looks like now they will be playing in the US Open Cup for 2024 as a short-term solution and that the long-term solution is that they're going to continue talks with US soccer to figure it all out. Um, but that's the good news. Um, at least they're coming back. Um, but I'm, I don't know, pessimistic about the long-term future in terms of uh, their plans. And who has the leverage here, Kartik? Does US soccer have leverage or does MLS have leverage in terms of uh, for 2025 onwards with this US Open Cup uh, negotiations and discussions? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the leverage probably is part partly on both sides. It depends how, how strongly U.S. soccer wants to argue this. And I think it also depends on whether U.S. soccer can go out in the next 12 months, get a title sponsor. Um, it can be the, I don't know, the Siemens. I'm just throwing out a company, Siemens Lamar. Oh, okay, let's do this instead. U.S. soccer is moving to Atlanta. Let's make it the Coca-Cola Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Let's go out and get that title sponsor. <laughs> Let's go out and uh, uh, and get uh, some money behind this competition um, and reward teams for success in it. Uh, Chris uh, mentions his club, Seattle. Seattle took this competition more seriously than anyone. They won the Open Cup after they uh, they they made the semifinals of Open Cup. The last year they seriously competed in USL because their last year in USL they were kind of you know in this tra weird transition where they weren't, uh, right, they were moving to MLS. But the last year they competed seriously in USL, 2007, they were in the semifinals. They built on that. 9, 10, 11, they win the Open Cup. 12, they get to the final, lose to Sporting um, in the final. 13, one of the great thrills of my tenure as NASL uh, communications director was when they came to St. Petersburg and our team, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, knocked them out. The first team to beat the Seattle Sounders uh, in an Open Cup that the Sounders had taken seriously before the semifinal round since 2006, in seven years. Um, but I think the Sounders have themselves have taken the Open Cup less seriously, maybe because of, uh, more recently, because of the lack of financial incentive. So that's on U.S. soccer. Now, what's on MLS? Where MLS has um, the leverage is they always can say, hey, we're taking our, 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 our toys home and we're... Uh, we're, we're going to do this. Um, uh, we're not going to do this, and we're going to field our reserve teams if they have a year to vet and prepare their fans uh, and ease their fans into believing it's, an, it's a good thing. Now, what happened with the way they handled this was they had a Wednesday where they refused to change the roster rules, and then a Friday where they announced they were withdrawing from Open Cup. The shock value of those two things back-to-back, -back, particularly the Open Cup piece, uh, I think... Uh, was something that even the most diehard MLS backer was not prepared for. Therefore, it created this fan reaction similar to the Super League in Europe. 
and the reaction to the Super League in Europe. Now, what I'm finding, even with the Super League in Europe, is as time goes on, the people are still like, yeah, on the surface we're against it, but, you know, maybe practically it's something that makes sense down the road, which wasn't the reaction when it was announced and you had fan protests and you had nine of the 12 clubs pull out within a couple of weeks or within a week. Um, I, I think that that's where MLS has some leverage. They have a year to basically prepare their fans. Hey, League's Cup is the greatest thing. We're competing at a high level in CONCACAF. Seattle has qualified for the World Club Cup. Uh, right? I think Seattle, yeah, Seattle has, um, and that's going to be in the U.S. Why do we need this? So that's where there's leverage on both sides. U.S. soccer, you have the leverage, go out and get a sponsor. MLS, you've got the leverage, go out and convince your fans that Open Cup is, 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 is not worthwhile and our other competitions that we claim are bit, bit bigger and better, which are competitions they control revenue for, of course, is the real reason. But um, that those are better for our fans. So I think there's leverage on both sides. Yeah, and last comment is from uh, Wild Stallion about Serie A. He says, uh, I hope in this show you will talk about what the Serie A growth decree is all about. Will it affect just the big clubs or will it affect all of the Italian football pyramid? And Kartik, as far as I can understand, the growth decree is really, I mean, with the changes, is that a lot of the top stars in Serie A will end up having to pay more in taxes, uh, which means that so previously there was some... Uh, tax um, deductions so that uh, the star players that came to Serie A uh, wouldn't have to, uh, you know, so much of their paychecks wouldn't go into taxes. Uh, with this change, that could have a dramatic impact from top to bottom, more so the top uh, teams, but it could also impact the teams uh, closer to the bottom of Serie A, where players might be more, uh, might be reluctant to move to Serie A, might say, hey, let me go to Portugal. Let me go to France. Let me go to Germany or other other countries where they don't have to pay so much in taxes. Uh, okay, so that's that's one angle on it. I agree with that. I think from a marketability standpoint, certainly. I think the the flip side of it is fans in Italy have been complaining about this, saying, uh, "Look, the reason why Italy has not qualified for the last two World Cups, and um, I think it's really fortunate to qualify for this Euro, where they were the defending champions, right? And they were yeah. they were lucky to qualify." Uh, they had a horrible qualifying campaign was um, be, uh, and benefited from a terrible call, actually, in the, in the final game against Ukraine, um, was is because of all these foreign players in Serie A and this exemption and this tax decree, so uh, growth decree. So basically what's going to happen now is we're going to be able to um, promote homegrown players. We're going to bring Italian players back to the forefront. We're going to force um, top clubs in Serie A to field more Italian clubs just because of basic economics and uh, foreign players, the foreign players that the Juventuses and the Inters and the, uh, and the Romans are signing, um, that they are now going to go to La Liga or, or Premier League or whatever. And, um, and, and this is going to be better for homegrown Italian players. And uh, uh, what it's going to do is eventually bring back kind of the Italian feel to the league. Um, so I see both arguments. I think in terms of growth in the United States, uh, yeah, it probably is going to hurt Serie A. Serie A already has this television contract situation domestically that I, I, I've told you about that, that I've said many times on the show that I think is going to hurt them. Uh, but I do think long term, this might make the league more appealing for audiences in Italy, which is a big problem and may allow them to have the foundation long term to 
not collapse, not constantly. Um, because I think the argument for people who, who support MLS and push back against open systems and, uh, um, and uh, the idea of, uh, 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 of a free market-based uh, soccer system generally tends to be Serie A and the number of club collapses and financial uh, problems you see in clubs in Italy. So I think maybe if you, if you strengthen the foundations of Serie A in the domestic Italian player market uh, and you strengthen the Italian game, long-term it pays off. Um, so uh, we'll see. All right, listeners, there are a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. We really appreciate your feedback and questions and comments for us. Uh, you can you reach out to us through voicemail, which is 561-247-4625. Email is web at worldsoccertalk.com. The website is worldsoccertalk.com. Click on podcasts and leave your comments in the most recent uh, episode uh, thread. Uh, facebook.com slash world soccer talk you can send messages there youtube.com slash world soccer talk post your comments on uh, the episodes there and then last but not least uh, twitter or x is uh, at world soccer talk Kartik, where can listeners uh, find you on substack and social media yeah so on social media i'm at kkfla737 at Substack, I'm beyond, and I'm at beyondthe90.substack.com. Uh, general soccer content, but a lot of emphasis on some of these issues we've talked about lo- related to uh, local, low, lower division American soccer and the American soccer pyramid. Uh, also, uh, teaser here, I just completed a, a new book on Florida history, which is called The American Conquest of Florida. It's about the U.S. Uh, uh, effectively invading and taking over Florida in the uh, in the early 1800s. That book will be out in hardcover on January 19th. Unfortunately, the Kindle edition won't be ready until February, and the paperback won't be um, available until March. But um, it's long enough that they you know they're issuing the the hardcover first, which is uh, which is great. So uh, that will be on Amazon uh, starting on January 19th. So and then also KKFLA737 on. Uh, uh, the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter. All right, Kartik and listeners, uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, Kartik, for being on the show. Until next time, enjoy your football. <laughs>